It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You think about the person in your life when you started believing you more than anyone else. They're the ones that made the sacrifices. No I walk out, my old man's next to me. They're not just looking at you, they're looking at what made you. Now what I'm talking about our fucking game. I want them talking about us. Oh, enjoy your lunch, 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 lunch. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy, and I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy, and a man who's stood by Richarlison through thick and thin, it's Nathan Acock. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> That's me. It's been paid off, Nathan. Uh, well, it's not paid off until he gets to 15 goals in a really <laughs> financial sense, but yeah, I... Oh, you... Yeah. How Obviously, happy did you feel for him when that goal yeah, went in? Yeah. I, I like it when Spurs score. I love it when Spurs win games, but I really... I did something I very, very rarely do, which is I, I yelled, I screamed in the comfort of my own home. I was out of my seat, double fist clench, uh, you know, properly hurting my vocal cords, yelling. Um, at the equaliser uh, or at the winner? For the winner. Mm. The, the, the equaliser was great, but the winner did something, you know, was, was a special moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about the winning goal in a bit um, because I think it's a fucking outstanding goal. Sorry, I just started <laughs> off by saying the F word so early on after we had an email recently from someone saying, please try and tone down my language. I do apologise. Um, before we, we get into this game, because there's so much to talk about, uh, I just wanted to mention the Tottenham Food Bank. So our friend Sarah does the collections on match day at the Food Bank. And at the moment, there's no van available, so she's not able to be there. But uh, you can still donate by text. There are details on the website. It is tottenham.foodbank.org.uk. Obviously, it's terrible that food banks in this country are necessary, but sadly, they are. And um, if, if, if you are in a fortunate position, uh, please consider having a look at that website and um and donating it's very much appreciated sarah does great work um we'll, we'll do what we usually do and we'll start off with the starting 11 i mean the starting 11 was unchanged should we start off with the bench because there were a couple of interesting bench selections what was interesting about the bench our, our friend dyer being back on it mm-hmm. how does that make you feel buddy I mean, it doesn't fill me with confidence if something happens, but I guess it just makes sense. Sanchez is gone and he didn't want to put Phillips there. So I guess if you're going to go for experience over youthfulness, then um, fair enough. Go with Dyer. He seemed um, 
He went for a little wander up and down the touchline, did a little warm-up, got nice applause, applauded, back, applauded the crowd back. So there seemed to be a bit of love coming from the, the actual playing public. rather like than that. Yeah, rather than that kind of... Because sometimes you, you get warped by comments and stuff on social media yeah. mm. and you think everybody hates him. But he got a warm, uh, he got a warm reception. I'm really, like I'm really pleased to hear that. Hmm. There, there were some people who were genuinely really cross about the fact that he'd been named in our 25-man squad list, which is just absolutely bizarre because... What would be the benefit of leaving him or Larice off the list and excluding them from the squad? Like they they have friends in the squad, right? Is this going to piss off their friends as much as anything? Um, yeah. Like so, I was really really pleased that that firstly they were included on the squad list, but also that um, that Dial's on the bench because I think it is the right call given that he hasn't left the club yet to to keep him involved. Um, but also Johnson was on the bench. Nathan, um, you made a video about Brennan Johnson last week. Mm. Really enjoyed the video again. Um, Thank you. I would say you seem very much on the fence with Brennan Johnson. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's that's probably right. It, I mean, it's just Nathan is allowed to be on the fence. Nathan can have doubts about a player, but Mario Garganelli. Oh, Jesus, my government name. Um, <laughs> I Dominic de Coco. I'm not allowed to have doubts about individuals. He could, you're going to beat that out, Nathan. <laughs> it's just a madness that Nathan can have doubts, but I can't. <laughs> well, as I told you via text message, I didn't post my doubts directly onto Reddit as a single clip example <laughs> teaser thing. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I think that I uh, I explained in the video that while um, there are, there's definitely not a ton of actual footballing that he's done that's hugely exciting um he does have some very useful tools that really suit our current way of play and also our coach appears to be a fantastic i mean appears is, is isn't even hyped enough is has done some incredible coaching already and that's where the upside is mm. i I'm getting a bit conscious that we've we've gone very we've got very extra inch on this game and we've got we've dived straight into the the details and the decisions without kind of getting too overexcited about the actual result and the comeback. So just just please let's get there. At some point. <laughs> there we go. There's no there's been no woos. There's been it's been very kind of surgical. So um, it was an it was it was an incredible comeback. Of course, it's kind of tainted by the fact it was Sheffield United, but that was an unbelievable finish to a game. Um, that was that the latest a team has ever been behind and ended up winning the game, and breaking our own record. <laughs> was it was it our record? Or must have been the one, Leicester, Leicester game, Bergwijn. I, yeah, I think it was inevitable that that record would be broken this season, given the mm. whole added time mm. thing that's happening, which we'll, we definitely need to talk about as well. Yeah, we need to yeah. come back and have a word with um, Heckingbottom because I got some issues with with his kind of take after the match yeah yeah tell me about it but before we before we go into like the substitutions and how it was changed it was there was a moment at 1-0 where I I was kind of reconciling to myself going okay these games are going to happen this young team allowed the occasion and and allowed everything that Sheffield United had done during the game and they played they were almost playing the kind of time wasting and the the cramps and everything else and I just thought they'd allowed themselves to be knocked off course and the occasion got to them but it didn't there were some really smart changes Johnson came on and offered something totally different which is great offered us something else and worried them and you know he he set up a goal that was disallowed he scored a goal that was disallowed and all of a sudden he he did change the game in just the fact that he's Mm. just gave them something 
nothing else to worry about. So there were some really good tactical changes, some really good kind of mental fortitude from Spurs. And we just just got it done. And it was it was a beautiful thing to see. And I've, the Man United game was incredible, the atmosphere and everything else. But this was almost like another step towards that. We keep having these moments at this stadium where it feels, starts to become and starts to feel like our home. And that was another one of those steps towards it becoming our home. I, I don't agree with you, by the way, about us... Um playing the these the time wasting and the mm. kind of falling into a trap i thought we put together throughout the game a really impressive performance in which we steadily built through the game and i genuinely think with a different referee like that game is dead and buried <laughs> early yeah, yeah. um i thought we were very very good and very professional throughout and uh, got mugged off by bad decisions to be honest uh, and, I, and that's me saying that. I, I'm one who gives a lot of uh, sympathy to referees because I think they have a really difficult, complicated job. But. Same. Like, we're about to talk about referees for like the third time this season and that's 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 as many as we normally talk about in a season. Right. Uh, yeah, we we have not had the rub of it with refereeing this season while well, Romero has. Mm. But. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, my experience of watching the game unfortunately was very different. This was meant to be my first game of the season. I was really hoping to go to this, but then my friend selfishly uh, had a, his birthday due on the same day, which involved us all going to watch Wickham Wanderers, uh, which was really fun. Like a bunch of us going to watch Wickham, and they won as well. Um, but it meant I couldn't even watch the game live. Like I. I very rarely don't watch a Spurs game live. It's happened about 10 times in the last decade, and I find it very stressful not watching the game. Not that I can influence it in any way, but I sometimes I, I somehow feel um, I, I feel worse about it if I'm not able to watch it live. Um, but I got the, the notification of the two late goals as I was walking out of Adams Park, and I was just absolutely elated. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I, was, I felt so happy, and then I actually watched the game back on Sunday morning in a slightly hungover state, and I was watching it back on Spurs play, and I, I kind of was making notes for the podcast as well, so I had a very different experience, like stopping it, making notes, um, I wasn't able to fully embrace the emotion and the the excitement with the game, which is, I, I felt really sad about sure. that because it was such a big one. Mm. Um, I think, I think, I wish I'd watch, been there. I think watching it with the result and knowing the result, I think, I think you've definitely got a different feeling. Yeah. It. Yeah. You could tell by the, those celebrations weren't celebrations because we scored last minute winners against Sheffield United. They were celebrations about overcoming everything that they'd seen at all the kind of adversity that had been pushed against them and the bad decisions. That's what that was. And the fact that James Madison, as soon as they went to take their um, kickoff after, after the Kulisevsky goal, Madison went down holding cramp. And there was, there was a lot of anger amongst our players. And I sit now on the corner flag where they celebrated the Kulusevski goal and Basuma went down with cramp. And Postacoglu was screaming at Basuma to get up, stop messing around. Because we had, I honestly believe we had played the occasion rather than the game. And he was shouting at Basuma to get up, get back in position and just stop messing around really because there was some stuff to do. And he remained pretty calm. He had a couple of moments on the touchline where he got a bit irate, but he remained pretty calm much calmer than other managers that we've had recently would have done so how do we want to do this do we want to talk about how the match flowed or do we want to talk about the referee first and get it over and done with let's do flow yeah yeah i mean we we we, we really dominated this game i felt like we had control for as much as we wanted it um 
the first 10 minutes, Van de Ven did get us out of trouble a couple of times by stopping counters, and he was really impressive in doing that. Uh, there were a couple of individual areas. Uh, Udogi got dispossessed, running back towards his own goal, which was a slight concern, but then um, he got bailed out. Sheffield United had a couple of counter-attacks. Vicario made a really, really decent save. Uh, I want to talk about the reasons for those in a bit, but generally I thought we were really good and we weren't creating clear-cut chances as such, mm. but we had really good settled possession around Sheffield United's box. They were defending incredibly deep, but what that meant was it allowed us to play passes consistently into their box, into dangerous areas, and it just felt to me like a chance was going to happen sooner or later, or as did happen, in my opinion, we were going to get fouled in the box. Um, and I felt that that one on Madison in the corner of the box was a clear foul. Uh, he did make the most of it. You know, he threw himself to the ground, which in a way, I think maybe affected the referee's decision making. Like it made it seem like it, he was trying to win a penalty rather than had been fouled. But there was way more in that than there was in the Brentford game where a penalty was called against us um, for the tackle by Son on Jensen. Um, that was a penalty and then Basuma got a push in the back that's a penalty as well I, 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 I felt like we did enough to to win that game without relying on last minute goals um, and sort of yeah that crazy ending I, I felt like we had control and we did what we needed to do when we were just a little unlucky I think I'm a little lower on our sort of possession play um, uh, so I think the sort of most of the first half Sheffield um, put up more of sort of like a medium block and, and man marked us in midfield um, were quite aggressive with their wide centre backs uh, and, and man marks the, the full backs and stuff and did a good job of slowing us down and I think that because of that when we did arrive in their box or when we did arrive in the final third we sort of rushed things and forced things and I think that as they dropped off into their own box into their low block in the second half we were still kind of um, getting a bit excited about being in the final third for um, a fair bit mm. of the second half and we're a little bit impatient, a little bit forcing things. Um, but yeah, we, we, would, we were gradually churning up the chances and, and if you account for a couple of, maybe even three, <laughs> missed penalties. Um, I, don't, I just, um, I guess the, the thing with time-wasting, obviously, other than the, the most obvious thing, which is decreasing the amount of time as the ball and players, they really, really broke up our momentum mm, in this game. That's it, isn't it? And I think that had a significant effect on uh, both the team <laughs> and, our, and, and the team's ability to sort of put the pressure or, or increase the temperature over time. And also, um, it really negatively affected the viewing experience. Christ, it was it was it was really tough to. Um, and obviously, I wasn't there in in person. It's always different. Um, but because of the way TV directors cut away from the pitch whenever the ball is out of play, um, we saw very little grass <laughs> in this game. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like so much looking at the stands, looking at the coaches, looking at close ups. Yeah. It it really bothers me as an experience. I I I want to get that out there first because we're going to come talk about time wasting a bit. Um, maybe now, maybe or whatever. Um, but this was kind of tough to follow, and it's even been tough to follow on a rewatch because there's just so little actual football um happening on a consistent basis in this game. There was um th 
the second half started and we went at them for the first minute, two minutes like we like we did against United, really up the tempo and then bang, five minutes gone. Somebody yeah. got injured, Fodringham, I don't know who it yeah, was. Fodringham. Five minutes gone. And then there was a point in the second half where every time we built up a bit of um, momentum and a bit of pressure and applied that pressure, because like Nathan says, pressure is not just one corner, it's a succession of corners, it's yeah. a yeah. succession of holding the ball and moving it and having to have it, get them to think. But in every time we almost like in rugby went through a few phases, number 20 would drop with, with cramp. And even if the trainers didn't come on or even if the referee didn't stop the match, it was enough to break the momentum and break the play. And they did that consistently. And yeah. Yeah. that's that's how that's how they did it. We weren't able to... It wasn't like tactical fouling that stops the game that way. It was Some of it. A little bit yeah, of that. And they had, they had an out ball. So they, the manager spoke about Spurs blocking their passing out the back. That's just nonsense. Yeah. Because they were, they were aiming for that massive lump. McBurney, who were then flick it on and he won every single header he was quite incredible in the air even bullying van der ven at, at the first at the start he was putting himself up against Udoji and was was winning everything obviously and then van der ven tried to take hold of him and in the end they just stopped and just started picking up the second ball instead because they couldn't get near him but yeah their their approach and the way they did it and that's i'm glad the referee put 12 minutes on because in the first half he only gave three minutes which was ridiculous because mm-hmm. considering the amount of injuries that had happened but they got what was coming to them which is the beautiful thing about it and sometimes the football teams escape that but they they messed around and they got found out hmm. so then obviously um we wait until 80 minutes to make the subs which i think that um that can be quite frustrating as a fan but i think that and postcogli spoke to this after the, after the game is that he was confident that a lot of stoppage time was coming and so it was almost as if he did them at 70 minutes, yeah, with that kind of thing in mind. Because yeah. so little football had been played up to that point in that half of the game. Um, and there was there was quite a bit more to come. And he and he gambled on that. Um, yeah, I, I felt that... Huh, and obviously we talked about the strengths of, of Sun as the forwards uh, last time out. Um, but against the low block, um, Sun just has no real physical presence in the box. And then maybe you've got Solomon, Solomon coming in from the opposite wing. Maybe Madison gets in the box. Occasionally, Saar's going to get in the box. There's just not there's not a huge threat there. And as a result, I think that they, Sheffield United, were able to, um, one, um, keep a man on our wingers, uh, use wing backs on our wingers and, and not get drawn into their box um, laterally. And then also um, not collapse their midfield into their defensive line and, and prevent cutbacks. Um, and so able to... Do the low block, um, but defend outside of their box in, in, in every direction as well. Whereas we bring Richarlison on and suddenly that's a bit scary. The cross is a, is a threat and suddenly they've, they're double and triple marking him. Their defenders have sort of backwards momentum towards their own goal and that's beginning to open up space elsewhere. And I think that this is why um, our centre-forward situation is, is very much a, a horses-for-courses situation. Yeah. Um, uh, what to an extent where I I think you we need to be less about who scored last match and more about what are we going to face in this game tactically as to who starts at the forward position between Richarlison and Son um, because we we have a forward for every scenario <laughs> I think we have a good forward for every scenario um, although there's something to be said about only switching to the target later on when the opposition are a bit more tired and we're fresher. Um, but then I like that we made all three subs. Yeah, we we changed to to have lots of crossing options. Yeah, Perisic, who's 
probably our best crosser without taking Kulisevsky off, who's probably our second best crosser. Um, and also getting Johnson on the right. I liked that a lot. Yeah, I thought Perisic was really good when he came on, really offered us something yeah. different. And yeah, I, di- I didn't mind I didn't mind starting with Son. I thought that was okay. And with the option to bring Richarlison on if needed. Yeah. I think that's 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 not a bad situation to have. I actually didn't think Perisic was very good. <laughs> I was a bit frustrated. Really? Yeah, I was quite frustrated with him. I think his first thing he did was take a ridiculous shot straight into legs which is what I was getting <laughs> frustrated with Solomon for doing and sure. and I was like okay surely you're on here to do something different uh, I want you to be like creating space and getting crosses in. but he had a really big impact in the winning goal so I'm not going to criticise too much um, absolutely fantastic touch in that, in the, that. Uh, let's just talk about that second goal for a minute the technical quality of that goal, I think, has been a little overlooked because of the excitement surrounding the circumstances of it being a last-minute winner. There are so many brilliant touches in that goal, including the finish, where Kuliszewski uses the defender as a shield to stop the goalkeeper seeing where he's going to put it. Hoybier, I mean, the thing that, that impressed me about the, that Hoybier's part in it is that Perisic is demanding the ball from him. He wants it, and he wants it now. And the only way Hoybier can find Perisic now is to play it in a kind of awkward way with the outside of his foot but he's just so delicate with his with his pass Perisic then plays a lovely first time ball around the corner um there's good touches from Richarlison like really well weighted Kulisevsky gets his first touch isn't perfect the second one sets up for him and then he he puts it away second touch yeah just puts it away brilliantly the composure and to be honest I thought Basuma was up there for Man of the Match again, but my other player who I thought deserved Man of the Match was Kulisevsky, and that goal, yeah. to me, means that he is the Man of the Match for this one. I thought, you know, I've seen him grow as an Anjwinger as as each match has gone on, and I, I thought there were improvements from the first match to the second match to the second match to the third. In this game, I thought Kulisevsky was outstanding. But he doesn't score that goal unless Postacoglu brings Johnson on to the right. Yeah. And Kulisevsky's playing inside. Like he just isn't yeah. in position to take that shot. So full credit to Postacoglu for, for making the change and, and making sure that Kulisevsky was there. The component, I mean, it's his weak foot. You know, he doesn't often hit things with his right. Not much. He put it away perfectly. It was so good. And similarly, Richarlison's header... It's it's one of those where it's flashed across and he just glances it in and you don't really get a chance to appreciate it because it all happens so quickly. But the technical quality of that header is is outstanding really nice. as well. Just really top-notch goals. We're playing some wonderful, wonderful stuff at the moment and it's just a joy. It's really yeah. a joy. I want to work on that goal. I want to flag um, you dodgy winning the ball again high mm. up. That's not, that's how many times he's done that now? The boy is an absolute Trojan. At least it's a good against, pressing effort yeah. from the from the whole front line there. It's a Burnley. He won. He wins the ball high up, and Madison scores. He did it again, and we score. I thought Kulusevski was good. I thought Bissouma had a terrible th- first thirty minutes. I thought oh, really? I thought he looked a bit out of sorts, a bit leggy, and he wasn't quite there. He he improved massively. And I also thought Madison had a had a weak first half, but then improved massively. I thought in my head I was like, uh oh, these I hope the international break, lack of momentum, or even just the hype hasn't got to them. Because Madison was player of the month, was he? And I was just thinking, yeah. I hope it hasn't hope it hasn't inflated his ego too much. But yeah, it was just had a, a just a bad first twenty five minutes or so. 
Kulisevsky, I um, was really impressed by. I, I think, yeah, probably man of the match. And um, I've been critical of Kulisevsky up to this point, I think, so far this season. Um, statistically, he he wasn't credited with a successful dribble uh, out of three in this game, but um, he was able to sort of go, go aside his man and get to the byline a lot, um, which is really important for his game and for our game especially. Um I um I caught some of his international break. I caught a compilation of his performances or two of his performances for Sweden, and uh, I I I'm reluctant to be certain about this because I don't want to sort of work backwards from the results um, or from the outcomes of his actions. But I feel like his fitness has come along over the international break, as if he's sort of like gone through a difficult preseason and and finally got to that level because he looks a little lighter, a little quicker in how he turns his hips. Getting again, he's not technically dribbling his man apparently, but 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 getting away from his man enough to get the cross off or or cutting back or whatever. I think um, self belief so can he's do that. Fitter. Yeah, sure, exactly. That's that's why I can't definitely say it's it's fitness, but yeah. So this is a one of the benefits of international break um, is like getting some experience against lesser opposition and 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 getting some self belief that way, and then bringing it back to your next Premier League game. But yeah, I thought Kulusevski was was really outstanding both in the wide role. And when he moved into being um, a number eight. So, yeah, mm. my man of the match, I think. Adamalist said, oh, should Perisic and Richarlison only appear together? I think that is a, a legit... I think sure. they should only appear together, basically. I, you know, Perisic's main strength is crossing. Richarlison is brilliant in the air. Something we've highlighted since he signed for us. Um, it makes sense as a sort of second... A, pl- a plan B, kind of. Has he? I don't, yeah, but I also don't mind if it's plan A because sure. if we're going to play against, you know, well, Sheffield United or whoever next week, you know. Mm. Has Richarlison only scored goals with his head for us? Um, I think uh, yeah, he's got the two against Marseille with two headers, goal against Liverpool header, this goal, goal against Fulham header. header, goal against Fulham header. Maybe well, his feet goals are disallowed. Really. Yeah, well, his feet goals. <laughs> he's only got his. He's, yeah, he just gonna score with his head. Maybe that's why. Just put Perisic and him on. Just whip it in. Uh, Joel Hooten says it's hard to tell what made the difference for us in this one. Was it Kulusevski and Johnson on the right? Richarlison running after everything up front. I think Solomon lacks something in this game. He can beat players off the dribble, yes, but I'm not sure about his link-up play. Perisic seemed to have that extra bit of composure. Does he get the start next week? Um, I just want to talk about Johnson's disallowed goal. Nathan, you said something earlier that, which made me raise my eyebrow a little. You said that something about the Johnson signing not being exciting or the, the player not being exciting. There's not been much football that's been exciting or something like that. Yeah, when you look through the actual football that he's played, there's not a ton that excites me. Mm. See, I, I've, I've watched, I do watch quite a bit of championship football. It's, I, I enjoy the championship. I think it's a strong league. And I've got some, I have had some vested interests in there as well. So I have seen quite a bit. And Johnson, to me, was always a really exciting player okay. to watch. I... I really enjoyed his raw pace, but also his decision-making in the final third. Um, I do like a player who gets his head up and plays a cutback. I always have done. Yeah, yeah. Um, great for that. And so I, I I have found him exciting. And, and to me, that goal, that disallowed goal was a, a, a sort of premonition of what I think Johnson can be for yeah, Costa yeah, Coglu yeah. Spurs. Yeah, Like the, what looked like a really well-timed run wasn't quite, but the idea was there. The first touch was fantastic. And that is something where 
you'd say Johnson could be a little erratic with his first touch, but that was really neat. And then the finish, he put it away brilliantly. There's the, the, uh, Rather than saying his first touch is good, his first touch is bad, with Johnson it's like, um, it's inconsistent, yeah. but when it's good it's great. Yeah. You know what I mean? When he yeah. nails his first touch, he really brings it into his momentum, but then sometimes it just sort of cannons off him awkwardly. Um, he's sort of a bit weird for his first touch in that regard, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I um... I was very excited by that. And sort of following on from Joel's second point about Solomon, whether Perisic gets the start next week against Arsenal, uh, Ivan Victor says, did Aaron Lennon and Lucas Moura have a child together that they called Manuel Solomon? <laughs> I thought um, I thought Solomon was okay. I thought it, was, it wasn't the right game for him in the same sense it wasn't the right game for Son. But I thought he did all right. He had a good opportunity. He had a couple of shots. He did okay. He didn't have a disaster of a match. He did all right. And um, I would kind of stick with him for a little bit longer. I don't think he's amazing. I don't think he's the long-term solution out there. But I, he was all right, you know. He was all right. Phil, like we talked about Perisic uh, last week, how um, the rumours are that, that he's not well-liked in the squad and how we have a lot of wingers in the squad now. Um, I mean, I think Solomon and, and Perisic are pretty similar in profile. I I think it's kind of going to be a situation where like one of them's going to start and be frustrating and the other's going to come off the bench with fresh legs and 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 win the game for us and we're going to continually go oh no this one's better no this one's better um obviously you know Paris is the better crosser Solomon's faster um but they're kind of like for like both in style and quality um I've said this basically every week um, <laughs> since Postacola came in. For me, I would look to move at least one of them on and bring in a proper, um, you know, quality player who's in line with our centre backs, with Basuma, um, with our two options as the centre forwards, uh, um, and get someone who is sort of the best of both of them continuously. He works hard, you know, he works hard. He seems to have an, a decent relationship with, with Dodgy as well. And like you said, I don't mind Solomon for 60 minutes running around, being busy. I agree he can be a bit frustrating and he's not he's not what we would like there. But he does he does all right. I think he's better than Lucas, Lucas Moore for sure. And I think he's a bit smarter with how he plays. I think um, aesthetically, he really does look like Aaron Lennon. The way he runs with, yeah. his, with his arms out for balance, it's very Lennon-esque and... I do think some of his decision-making is a little Lucas-like as well. Um, his first involvement, he runs straight into three Sheffield United players. That's exactly the kind of thing Lucas would do all the time, and it would really wind me up. And I'm just like, get your head up, make the right decision. Like, isolate your man 1v1 and beat him. Don't try and beat three players at once. It's not going to happen. Or if you beat the first one, you're going to have a wall of two players behind him, and they're going to have the anticipation on you. Um he really grew into the game, though, Solomon. I felt it was a bit like the Burnley performance where he started off really rough and then grew into it. And I thought he had some mm. absolutely fine interactions. Um, even though I don't think he's the best player in the world, I think Ange can get something out of him because I think Ange is brilliant. But I would be looking to play Johnson left wing against Arsenal. I think it would be a mistake not to. You know, Johnson's a clearly superior player in my view. Um, you want that pace running in behind um, Arsenal's right-hand side. I, I just think it makes complete sense to pull Solomon out for that one. So Johnson, Son, Kulisevsky is a front That's three. That's what I'd be looking for with Richarlison to come on. It's 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 pretty pacey. Um, I just feel like um, there's not a true dribbler between the three of them there, and I want I want 
essentially again because Perisic and Solomon is the quality of the 1v1 specialist that we have I want one of them starting I think um which yeah which I, I think with Kulusevski yeah. looking better it kind of compensates for that personally okay um the other tweak I would be making for the Arsenal game is I would bring in Hoybe FSR for the Arsenal game oh you're mad you're mad um, the, so the the reason behind it, I think Saar Saar's done some really good things this year, and I really love the way he arrives late in the box. I think that's his big big strength in in Postecoglou's setup. He covers ground brilliantly, and he times his run really well. The anticipation. Um, three of Sheffield United's chances came from McAtee running off Saar. Saar mm. being wrong side of McAtee. Um, I put some screenshots in the Discord earlier. Um, to, to sort of show this it's a weakness I spotted a few couple of games ago and now I've spotted it I can't stop spotting it it happens a lot uh, McAtee's a really good player by the way he's on loan from Man City he's a, a very good player Nathan made the point earlier that they went man for man in midfield um, and that worked both ways so McAtee was up against Saar and he did have the beating of him on the counter several times um, one of them was the the situation that led to Vicario making that really good save, uh, but there are a couple of other occasions as well. One one second half, two in the first okay. that led to shots, but it wasn't just the chance that led to shots. There were several occasions where Saar is. Um, I mean, he's, he's a home match against a weaker team, so he's being a little bit more reckless, I guess, and making mm. making bursts forward and not thinking about his defensive game, but. He cannot do that against Havertz and he cannot do that against Curtis Jones against Liverpool. So sure. I'd be looking to have Hoybier in for at least the Arsenal game and then see how it goes. Uh, the Liverpool game, Hoybier would concern me because I don't think he's got the pace to cope with their midfield. Whereas Saar clearly has. He's physically much more nimble. He gets around the pitch better than Hoybier. But I think the Arsenal game will have periods of 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 domination which kind of take we take turns to dominate the ball and I, I think in that kind of game I'd rather have the stability of Hoybier being goal side of his man that's interesting I think that's interesting because um yeah I don't think this was Saar's best game um but I think the the United game was his best game and I and I see I see next week being a more transitional game that favors Saar's legs his his ability to glide up and down the pitch so while I I do have I don't think Saar was great on the ball in uh against Sheffield um while I am sort of interested to see what Bentancourt can offer in in games against more defensive sides I think you got to stick with Saar um for the for the big I games. think he will by the way I think he will yeah. like yeah 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 you, you against Arsenal was like a cork floating in the sea it's just going to bobble around and they're just going to get past him it's, it's pointless you say you're worried about people running off Saar mate Hoibier doesn't move they're just going to walk off of Hoibier the, 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 the point is that Hoibier is much more switched on initially so he's he doesn't allow players to run off his shoulder because he's given he's like giving himself a couple of yards he's positioned himself between the player and the goal he's more conservative essentially might as well fold. Which, which you know has its, goes, has its downsides if we go to the Emirates with Fury Beg in midfield we might as well just hand the three points to save, <laughs> save the energy save the washing powder for cleaning the kit I uh I did some concreting on Friday this is not a joke I actually did some concreting on Friday and I had the uh the benefit of my dad's 
new good condition concrete mixer mm. and I had to stop at one moment and laugh to myself because it occurred to me um, having previously done concrete mixing manually with a shovel in, in a bucket how convenient and useful and helpful a concrete mixer is <laughs> for, the, for the purpose they Amazing. are very good very good for the last <laughs> 10 minutes of a game where the opposition has no midfield and they've just put everybody in the box they're very all for like for clogging up gaps but yeah not to start away at the Emirates so I've seen this too many times. I don't need to see it again. We're different. This is different talk. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I gave Age You Want to Try because I believe in time and how precious it is. We've all got things to do, places to be, races to run and takes to make. That's why I hate time wasting. On Saturday, I saw our friend Wes waste time. He could have just got on with life, kicked the ball, played the game and maybe, just maybe, they might have won. If he'd been a bit more AG1 in saving time, they might have got a result. But he, along with his clogger mates, wasted time and that's a sin. That's why I drink AG1 every day. There's no faffing around, pulling my socks up, looking for all the other supplements, pills, etc. I chuck it in my shaker with water, a scoop of the good stuff, dash of lemon, vitamin D, and I shake it like we've just scored the last minute winner and I'm telling the United Keeper what I think about him. Don't waste time. Wasting time comes back to get you. Take AG1. Use time while... Don't waste time. Wasting time comes back to get you. Take AG1. Use time wisely and be more Spurs. Be more AG1. Science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics and whole food sourced nutrients. AG1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. That's drinkag1.com forward slash extra inch. Check it out. Sure, you better get the Emirates. <laughs> yeah, I mean, buddy, uh, this boy. We need to, I need to have a word with him. Can you imagine? It's bold. It's bold. proper bold. <laughs> He did good when he came. He's done good when he's come on this season. Let's... He, he was he was really good, if and it... I I really glad that we kept hold of him and didn't sell him for and to bring Gallagher in. Yeah, he did really good when he came on, and in the, in the games he's come on, he's done good. The one game he started, he was terrible, and we lost. But um, yeah, keep him in, <laughs> keep him as a sub because even the even the goal, it was his smart header back across goal yeah. that won the corner. Well, he came on and he. 
he he played the midfield role, but he got in the box mm. to be a secondary target, yep. and he did that turn quite nicely for the goal. Yep. And then after we'd gone up, he went and played centre back. Like what a really that's mm-hmm. a useful, useful squad player. And I appreciate he he is of a quality that he um thinks and and rightly should be playing first eleven football. Mm. But I think he's really worth keeping in the squad to for bring sure. on to bring on regularly yeah 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 definitely so as Bardi's already alluded to the Sheffield United manager was not very happy with the added time um and Nathan I I saw you you put out a tweet about this as well yeah yeah so um I I have some sort of um ideological views about time wasting um that aren't very standard within football football fans especially Spurs fans I think that like football has a growing parity issue, right? The richest clubs um, are becoming more and more dominant. Um, there's there's less and less sort of upwards mobility in football. Kind of Spurs, maybe we'll see what happens with Brighton. Spurs might be the last Premier League club to develop themselves into being a top club on good football and good decisions alone instead of enormous financial upfront investment. Um, and that is an issue in sport. You, it shouldn't just be the same teams win every year forever because that's not what sport's about, you know? And so um, increasingly, I would say, time-wasting is becoming one of the last remaining tools that a lesser club has to... Um, Try to get a point or two or three points, two points, fucking up, three points out of a game um, against a, a high quality opposition side that they're facing. So while football has this issue, I'm reluctant to take away one of their last remaining tools to say, hey, let's let's just add on as much time as to take away. The other reason that I think that this is a problem is. Um, is that sport has developed in a wonderful way in the last 15 years, which is that most teams, not most teams, a lot of teams press high, at least at some point in the game press high. And that takes a lot of energy. Man, you cannot do that for 90 minutes. Like That's not real. The, the ball is in play for around 60 minutes or less than that for a good reason, because that is as much as they can athletically, realistically manage, especially if they're also going to be strong, competing duels and hold off their man and sprint fast and, and jump high. You know, we're, we're right at the limit of what a, a human can endure when you mix in four competitions that a team like okay like ours <laughs> not this year uh, like ours is typically in international football mid-season world cups uh the nations league um it's having a physical toll right footballers are, are coming under it so all of these things together um are for me strong arguments why you shouldn't punish time wasting too harsh but also as i alluded to earlier as a viewer it was awful i hated it as a viewing experience um and so and so as a result of the last match i'm now saying no punish time wasting <laughs> reduce the total time of play reduce the number of games that we're all playing and uh use financial regulation to even the playing field because time wasting is fucking awful <laughs> So essentially, because the big teams cheat off the pitch, the little teams should yes. be allowed to cheat a bit on it. Is yeah, where, is where, yeah. you, where you got to. Um, and yeah, I, I can see that um, it did ruin the game, didn't it? To to, to a degree uh, for large portions. And 
I think that his moaning about how much stoppage time there was is completely unjustified. There, there wasn't enough stoppage time in the first half, not even close to enough stoppage time. There was a stoppage in the first half. I think it was Fodringham again, actually. It that, was. That was over three minutes in itself. There were three minutes added time, by the way. Uh, then you had numerous parts of Fodringham stoppage time, uh, time wasting, which the referee warned Sheffield United about within the first 20 minutes. Madison was absolutely losing his shit on one occasion about an impromptu drinks break that Sheffield United deserved to, suddenly decided to take. So there was four, five, maybe even six minutes wasted in the first half that should have been added on. And the referee didn't do that. So if anything, there wasn't enough time added on in this game to compensate for the time that Sheffield United had, had wasted. Um, based on the new rules. Based on the new rules, exactly. Rather than a sort of a universally agreed idealistic version right. of how to referee football. Exa- exactly. Um, His argument is that those rules are bad rules. Yeah, That, that yeah. he thinks that that, that that isn't right, that the referees are now obsessed with time-wasting. And he said that um, the, the referee told Fodderingham to play along, um, where Sheffield United wanted to set up to, to play out from the back, which is how they took their first couple, um, but they wanted to wait to see how Spurs set up their pressing shape to then adjust their possession shape to then be able to play out from the back, however that might be, whether that's long or short. That was his argument. And I'm just thinking, no, that's too long. That's You're asking for too much there. You have to set up the way you think is right for your possession game. Mm. And then you have to adjust on the fly with the ball in play if that's what you want to do. Mm. This isn't a chess game. This isn't NFL. You're not going to set up a special team based on, you know, based on us having shown our cards. Because otherwise, now we want a break to change our pressure. We're going to go back and we can discuss our pressing shape for two minutes. (laughs) And then we're going to come out, you know, that's not how it works. You Mm. can't have it that way. Mm. They took the mick. They pushed it as far as they could push it. And uh, they got found out by it. They, you, yeah, they, the football doesn't work that way. You can't do that. The amount of um, injuries, the amount of cramps, the amount of times that Fodrigan would put the ball down, yeah. bounce it, put the ball back down, pull his socks up. That's not waiting for individuals to, to move into space. That's not waiting for Spurs to pick up a yeah. position. That's just wasting time. And they were doing it right from the start. And mm. um, we've seen a few times at Spurs throughout the years. Ben Foster was one of them that used to do it all the time. And I think even Matt Ryan back in the old days of Chris Hewton's bright and used to do it all the time as well and it's appalling it ruins the spectacle just get on with it you know just get on with it it's not the last 10 minutes where I could kind of see it they're doing it they're doing it way too early absolutely and McBurney had a bit of a hard done by act on Twitter going on as well after the game and my point to McBurney is look you were lucky not to be booked in the first half for stopping a free kick being taken your teammate Archie was booked for less than what you did so you should think yourself lucky that you lasted as long as you did, mate. And his first yellow was a hard foul. Yeah. It was a strong yellow. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there was, uh, who was it? The former Everton guy, Tom... Davis. He did a, Tom Davies did like a, really a bad, bad tackle. scissor tackle that could have been a yeah. yeah, Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, there was also this one really quirky uh, moment in the game which illuminated a rule to me that I was not aware of previously. So Spurs uh, won a corner and took it short. And then a second ball was thrown onto the pitch by the, uh, the the crowd. So essentially the ball had got off into the stands. Someone had held onto it as they do in, in the stands in football games. It's fun. You've had a drink. You're throwing balls around, whatever. Uh, Spurs, meanwhile, had just taken a second ball and, and cracked on. Um, and as the ball lands, the referee... Spurs are outside the penalty area. 
the referee doesn't spot it initially, and when he by the time he has spotted it, we've we've moved into the penalty area. And the rule goes that when there's a stoppage like this, that's not caused by a foul or whatever, or the ball leaving play, uh, the restart is through a dropped ball. And if the ball is in the defending team's penalty area, the dropped ball goes to the, def- the defending team's goalkeeper, which I was not aware of. So by the time the referee had blown, it wasn't a penalty area. Had he spotted it earlier that the second ball was in play, we'd have been able to have our possession outside the box where we took the corner. But... As it turned out, we essentially lost our attempt to take a short corner. So I think our crowd needs to be aware of this and not throw balls onto the pitch when we've taken corners in future, essentially. Um, but yeah, a, a new rule for me. I, I was not aware of that. I did a little voice note, um, Tales from the Lane kind of micro podcast, if you want to call it that, uh, over the weekend explaining what I saw because I saw both occasions like unfold and it was quite incredible um i don't know if it was, i don't want to spoil people can go and listen to it there but it was um the first one was unfortunate the second one was stupidity and then it had some had a nice little bit of drama to it it's <laughs> a funny listen um one more and i can't believe i'm i'm doing more refereeing decisions following um handballing the ball outside of his area mm. as Klusevsky's about to receive it is that not denying a goal scoring opportunity is a yellow and a free kick not an underpunishment of that situation. I don't know what the actual rules say. I'm saying again from a sort of philosophical point of view. Mm. How do you feel that that should be punished? I think the angle it was at would have meant that it, it's not a clear goal scoring opportunity, even though we know that Kulusevsky is good enough he to cut inside away and, from there. Yeah, yeah, he's good enough to cut inside and get a shot away and probably score from it. But you know, I think it would have been a harsh red. Also, okay. I'm not a hundred percent convinced that the ball's out of the area. I, I, I think if um, if it had gone to overhead if it had been camera. a red, yeah, if it had gone to an overhead camera, there might have been a tiny bit of the ball over the line. Who knows? I mean, it's, it's really hard to tell. Um, but yeah, I'd, I think a red would have been a little harsh in that scenario. But as I said earlier, I think we should have had two penalties. The the foul on Madison, gently as it was, was a foul, and the push on Basuma was so blatant. Like he's just shoved him in the back. He's 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 doing one of his marauding runs into the box, which, by the way, Basuma is so good at. But yeah, just pushed in the back blatantly and it's not like he even went to ground to win the penalty. He was just pushed over in the box. Crazy. The um, the yellow card for Fodringham. So everybody around me was talking about the, the Nick Pope situation when he got sent off for Newcastle against Liverpool. And Eddie Howe thought that should have been a yellow because of the angle and the distance from goal. So I think that's the only thing that saved Fodringham here. The okay. fact that it was going out, possibly going out for a corner. Maybe it was too far away from the goal. So I can, I can understand the yellow. I know everybody was calling for the red, but I, I thought yellow was probably okay. fair enough. And I was quite excited for him to get a yellow because I thought that would speed up his goal kicks from then on, but that didn't happen. So I want to talk a little bit more about Richarlison because there's been a lot that's happened yeah. this week. So we had a question from Sina Iran Ikar who said, um, firstly, I'm really happy he's seeking out professional help and feels comfortable sharing that with the world. I hope it makes others, both professionally and in youth football, more inclined to seek out therapy of any kind. With that in mind, his comments about his home life, I went through a turbulent time in the last five months off the field. Now things are right at home. People who only had an eye on money walked away from me. Now things will start to flow. Remind me a bit of the Delhi situation. 
footballers without a doubt deserve privacy in their personal lives and don't need us sticking our nose into every corner of their livelihoods however this has got me thinking about how we fans pundits etc strike a balance between criticism of on-field performance with off-the-field issues that may be impacting a player's form i'm not suggesting that any time a player is struggling we use the potential of off-the-field issues as a crutch but i feel that there has to be a better way to account for a player's holistic situation rather than the current binary of in form versus out of form curious for your thoughts on this and a big big thank you for creating a podcast that feels like a safe space to have these kinds of conversations rather than a raw alpha male elite athletes no (laughs) beaters allowed type of vibe um (laughs) thank you seen that's very sweet of you um nathan i'm sure you want to talk about this yeah yeah i mean i specifically on the question just to touch on um i don't much believe in form um i think that well, I don't believe it is a thing of its own. I think that yeah, confidence and 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 home life happiness um, are significant most of the time. There are significant tactical reasons, and I think that you think back to um, Red Nap era and before football. Yeah, if you think about 2010s and before, you had lots of well, this player's in form, this player's out of form. Whereas, uh, and they go through like a few weeks being on and a few weeks being off. Uh, and that doesn't happen much anymore, right? Normally there's a clear reason. Like Basuma's form hasn't improved. He's playing in a better tactical situation with a better man manager, you know, for example. Um, so yeah, uh, normally, normally there's just a, a playing a player in a, in a, in a better situation. I think that. Whereas previously it was just about the ball landing right for you and accidentally coming across a situation in which you've got time and space as a ball as a player who needs time and space on the ball to make things happen. We just sort of accidentally stumble into that. Now in football, that's something that we're much better at deliberately creating. That sort of stuff. Oliver Charleston, um, uh I mean, right now I'm just so happy for him. Um, mm. I'm, I'm, I, I understand that... Um, I read somewhere, I think, that there's a bit more sort of openness to to men specifically um, seeking uh, therapeutic help. Um, yeah, in South America. Um, so I, maybe that's a tiny bit easier for him to talk about there, but I'm still really glad that he's talked publicly about it. Um, there was some sort of rumours about it something to do with an agent or a former agent or someone like that in his life who was who's messed him about and um again over money this is what he alluded to um so yeah i, I feel and, and then also the sort of the the pressure of harry kane's gone and we need a goal scorer those things at, at once are obviously difficult for him um plus referring to my previous discussion of form is mostly tactics uh having him on the pitch without crosses provided into him for the opening three games or so yeah <laughs> Um, the last thing I want to talk about here is um, once again Postacoglu just just being absolutely note perfect when he speaks on these topics. So good, I just, man. I just, um, I think I'm going to sort of go overboard now. I, uh, I feel after five games, five Premier League games, I feel more strongly about Postacoglu than I ever felt about Pochettino. I can't, I can't. I'd never want anyone else to be our head coach ever again. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's how I feel about Foster Gogli right now. Not even Deservey. Not even Deservey. He's a fucking Italian dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> Angry little man. Yeah, I, 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 I admit there's a huge sense of pride in the way that Postacoglu handled all this discussion um, and sort of reminding the press and us via the press that 
footballers are human beings first and foremost yeah. and there is no such thing as perfect it was it was beautiful it was very it was philosophical it was poignant it was supportive uh, it took the pressure off Richarlison and I think we saw that to a degree in, in the way he responded in the pitch um, just what the doctor ordered it was yeah like you say no, no perfect he doesn't make um, a fuss one way or, or the other so like his comments were like I, it's just he diffuses the situation so like he said his football hasn't even been that bad he's still contributing for us so he's not gone one way or the other he's just he's just kept it just kept mm. it very neutral which is which is smart mm. you've been slightly critical of Richarlison Bardi you, you think he's struggled mm. a bit so far this new information about what's been going on for him off the pitch does that make you want to revise your view of how he's been doing are you willing to give a bit more leeway off the back of this um no it doesn't revise my opinion because i still don't think he's that great of a footballer i think he does i think he does fine he does certain things well um but i've i've based this on on what i've seen from richarlison over, over the years i think he's okay i think he's fine but he's not the number nine that i would i would have um i also think we we need to not get overexcited his personal problems and everything going on in his life haven't been fixed by this goal and i think sometimes we we use football as a as a bandage to fix all things that now a player scoring goals their personal life is is all hunky-dory and he's all right i still think if he's having ish, mental problems and issues that's still going to carry on despite how many goals he scores so we need to support him that way you can't just go oh everything's fixed he's, he's scoring goals um but i'm happy he's scoring goals i would quite happily now pay 30 pounds to charity if it meant richarlison scores 15 goals this season <laughs> i would happily i think we would all pay 30 quid to charity yeah. for richarlison to score 15 goals so that's nice yeah and when he scored i was happy obviously delighted i still don't think he's the the striker for us long term i th- i think um i'm really pleased for him that he's seems to have drawn the line under what's happened and is is getting therapy i think you know my partner's a therapist i'm a big adv- advocate for psychotherapy i think that generation as well is so much more open to to having a therapist than ours i say ours nathan's a little younger than bardi and i but th- <laughs> than our generations would be is it still would be for us, I imagine therapy is something you get when you have a crisis, whereas for younger generations, therapy is something you do on a weekly basis to look after yourself. Um, and I, I'm I'm pleased that it's being discussed. That you know we have to take into consideration the other context around mental health issues in football at the moment. The big one, Jaden Sancho, there seems to have been a real problem with the way Man United have handled his yeah. mental health crisis last season. You know, outing him as as suffering. When he didn't want them to, um, not that I think you know keeping it a secret is necessarily a good thing. I think people, if 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 sports stars would be a little more open, it would be generally helpful for society and, and men in society. But Eric Ten Hag had absolutely no place revealing that. Absolutely no place it's revealing that confidential medical information. Right? It's fucking disgusting that he did that. And and the treatment of Sancho now compared to Anthony by that club is appalling. Um, I don't care if he's turning up late to training; like he has every right to be pissed off if he's if you've done that to him. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about Anthony right now, but there's there's a whole bunch of stuff around footballers' mental health that I think uh, Postecoglou nailed, and the the more conversations. That has by people like Postacoglu, the better. Um, unfortunately, there's been a lot of toxicity around it still. I've, I've seen on, on, on social media, which is kind of what you expect. But uh, the more normalised these conversations become, 
the less toxicity there will be, I believe. And I'm really happy for Richarlison. I was so happy he got the goal and got the assist. Uh, it was it was great. Um, yeah, Bardi, you, you, your little snippet for the for the Patreon was was wonderful. Why did the reaction sort of uh, the the post match hot takes pod as well? I'm going to try and do like a ten minute after every match little raw recording. Nathan nice. hates the sound quality, but I do think it's it's <laughs> something. I do think it's something different and. Um, you know, by the time we podcast on a Monday night, we've had time to really think about things and put our thoughts mm. in order. And sometimes just getting a raw reaction is um, is quite interesting, particularly when things are going well. And Bardi, you've got a Bardi's book club on the way. Yeah, it's quite exciting. We've been contacted um, about a new book that's being written about Postacoglu called Revolution. Ange Postacoglu, The Man, The Methods and The Mastery by John Greechen. And I'm, I'll be speaking to John, to John next week, getting a copy of his book. And we'll do a little competition as well. So um, once I finish with it, we'll hand it on, pass it on. Um, do you think it's quite funny that United didn't uh, didn't like appoint Antonio Conte, but seemed to have appointed the Dutch Antonio Conte? <laughs> Do you know, when when there was all that ITK about Spurs turning down Ten Hag because he was weird, we were like, Spurs, what have you done? You've 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 given up the opportunity to get this amazing coach. Turns out they were spot on. He's a fucking weirdo. He is bizarre, isn't he? I think he's even more bizarre than than, than Conte. But uh, I mean, I'm 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 enjoying Man United folding. It's quite nice. It's one top four contender out the window, and then the snake at Chelsea, them folding. So it's good for us. The more of these clubs that that crumble, the better it is for us. He he's rattled already as well. Have you seen? He's he's firing shots all over the place. Mm, good. Really rattled. Mm. Uh, talking of ITK, uh, Paul O'Keefe turned up in my Twitter mentions to say that after our interview with Eric Ten Hag, we called up Martin Yole to be like, is he always this weird? And Martin Yole was like, yes, but yes, he's always that weird. <laughs> oh, he sounded Yol. more like Roy Kent than Martin Yole. Okay. <laughs> it's a good Roy Kent impression, though. Well done. Well done to you. Um, one more question, and then we'll we'll, hmm. we'll call it a day. Uh, James Harris said, what is the likelihood that Ange Wall gets found out eventually? His stints at clubs are generally pretty short, so I wonder if there's a sell sell by date on his style and how quickly that could happen. With so much talk about how specific Ange Wall is in terms of inver- inverted fullbacks, dribbly wingers, etc., mm-hmm. is it only a matter of time before that happens, or is he not as dogmatically tied to his system as Conte, for example? I think this is a really, really interesting, interesting question. It's kind of the uh, question tactically at the moment because... Um, because the footballers well been excellent but because we've what i mean to say is we've already seen the close to the ceiling we've already seen the high upside right my belief is that probably some point this season we'll lose a center back for a few games or the sumo will go on a long afghan i think it's probably only two games or whatever but um you know We'll go through a, a difficulty with fitness or something and and we'll have a poor period of time at, at this point, at some point this season. But what we've already seen is what we potentially could have stretched across a season. Um, so therefore, what's potentially stopping us once we've built up our squad depth would be better tactical adjustment from the opposition. And so far, I've been really, really impressed with our match-to-match tweaking, our solutions to build up play. I did a little, I did a TikTok video 
that didn't do well because I posted it straight after or straight before the Fulham match like an idiot um, on on our tactical adjustments in build-up play, um, being sort of quite dynamic with our fullbacks, moving them inside and outside, outside and inside, uh, deep and and high and things like that. Um, and then we've also seen what happens if you park the bus against us. Like eventually, we're gonna, we're probably gonna get you Brentford and and Sheffield United. The only place where I feel like we've struggled, and like, and and on that, like eventually a low block will get you. Like Man City, the best team ever against low blocks, and they still get undone yeah. a couple of times a season because that's just how the dice land sometimes, right? But the only place I've seen a struggle um, is when teams have have deployed more of a medium block. Yeah, so United did it for extended periods of the first half. Man United did it for extended periods of the first half. Sheffield United did it for extended periods of the first half, where you drop off the centre-backs and try to man-mark the full-backs and the midfield options without being too narrow as to give the wingers the the direct pass um, and and be free there. So if there is an adaptation to to Angeball, then it's it's somewhere in there and, and maybe trying to force turnovers on the fullbacks and stuff like that um but i think we're quite away from from that stopping us um and maybe burnley would be a decent example of that and then we just played long over the top and got sudden behind that way um and exhausted sanderberger coming across to try to try to prevent that so um i'm never gonna say no there's no there's no way of stopping us we're the best team ever it's done we're winning the lot (laughs) because there's always tactical adaptations but so far i'm seeing a hell lot of versatility in the different ways that we approach achieving similar things and similar ideas um it looks it seems really adaptable the principles remain but the the methods appear very adaptable and that is hard to prepare for absolutely i'm, I'm so impressed I'm yeah so impressed there's there's so much more to come as well Ange said in midweek that he needs two more transfer windows until he gets the squad into the state that he really sees as as, as sure. right um so we, we can upgrade personnel but also, like you said, there have been tweaks and we did it again against Sheffield United. We we brought on Hoybier for Van de Ven and we went to, well, Fekler will be delighted in, in the Discord because we briefly went to a three at the back with yes. uh, Royale, Romero and Udogi playing as a back three. We had a box in midfield, Hoybier and Basuma, the deepest, Kulusevski and Madison, the more advanced, and then Johnson, wide right, Perisic, wide left, Richarlison through the middle. We got the goal and then we immediately changed back to three, four, uh, sorry, four, three, three with Hoybier filling in a centre back, which I thought in itself was interesting. And I do wonder if Hoybier might get some centre back time this season. I've said in the past that I feel like he might end up playing centre back. Um, situational, obviously, in this occasion, but I do wonder if that's a possibility if we get injuries. Um, but yeah, I really liked the tweak to a three at the back. I thought it worked very nicely. It gave us uh, more freedom to play with. Um, two attacking midfielders yeah. whilst having the security of Hoybier and Basuma and Emerson Real in that short burst provided a lot of energy and he was really charging forward from that right-sided centre-back position and Udogi you know we've spoken about already winning the ball back in the 98th minute or whatever just insane levels of fitness um, so yeah the, the tweaks are coming the, the tweaks are there it's, it's not like he's completely regimented and he only ever plays one way and, and keeps going and going and going and which we did see with Pochettino at times you know sometimes fans would be saying do something different because this isn't working and he wouldn't he was quite frustrating it seems to me like Ange is a little bit more flexible 
And Ange Ball continues in perpetuity by increasing the quality of the squad. So allowing tweaks to be made by changing those individuals. The problem with Pochettino is he never strengthened positions. So we had a a good 12-man squad and then that was it. Eventually, towards the end of his reign, he found a plan B by chucking in a massive Spaniard. Um, <laughs> but, but, but that's not really what you want to do. With, with Angebo, you have your 11 and then you have tweaks. You Guardiola has one style of play, but he just changes the individual parts every now and then yeah. to, to mm-hmm. adjust because players have runs of form. They drop off form. Sometimes it doesn't work for them. Sometimes they had a bad night's sleep. And then you swap, I don't know, a Grealish, a Foden for a Doku. And I guess that's what we do at Spurs. We build up a squad over the course of Ange's tenure and improve in areas. When it's not working for Saar, you put on um, Bentancourt. When it's not working for them, you chuck on the cement mixer and you see what happens there. But let's not... I know everyone's happy, Wendy, and I know we're all in a good mood, but let's not talk about Hjordberg at centre-back anymore. We've already got one <laughs> immovable object, Eric Dyer, if we want if we want a centre-back that can't play a high line. <laughs> I'm not saying it's my preference, by the way. <laughs> okay, good. Um, so, big game next week. Big game. Two big games in a row. How are you, how are you feeling about Arsenal and Liverpool coming up? You know, we've had a pretty, I wouldn't say easy start, but we've had a favourable start compared to other teams. And now suddenly we've got two big tests. Are you feeling okay about this? They are big tests. I think that, um, huh. I think that maybe before the season started, I would have said in the style of early Pochettino, the bigger games are where we're going to struggle to to force the issue, right? Because our style of play, get under Pochettino, as before under Pochettino, was to dominate the game. Uh, we never stop. Ball in play mm-hmm. as much as possible. Uh, cooking them, turning up the temperature, forcing them to collapse under a pressure, and that doesn't appeal, doesn't apply that well to to teams who can match or even better our quality on an individual basis. Um, and I would carry that nervousness um, into next week, and I am a little nervous about next week because it's just always a big occasion, and I care so much about the team mm. right now. I care, God, I care so much on a week to week basis that I haven't done for years. I know, but. Talking to that question that we just had, a uh, really good question from, from James Harris, um, our adaptability, our tactical adaptability, I think our, our ability to play a more direct, more transitional game, our ability to utilise um, the opposition's desire to come and press us makes me not optimistic yet, not like highly confident, but excited to see what we try, how that looks what does and doesn't succeed, where we might go with that in the future. Um, I'm like, I'm nervous in a good way. I'm nervous because I can see things going well for us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The Emirates is a disaster ground for us. Every If we if we have a, a pressure point or a fault in our team in our starting lineup, that's kind of where it gets found out. There in Anfield are the two grounds where if there's anything wrong with us, it happens there, whether it's a goalkeeper or a defender or whatever. So... Uh, if we get beaten, I just don't, I want to, if we lose this game, I'll be all right with us losing it in a kind of footballing there further along the road than us. I just don't want us to, mm-hmm. to hand it to them. You see, I don't want us throwing the ball in the net or getting a sending off. If they beat us on the pitch, then fair enough because they're, they're a more mature team than us. But I think we can get something, but I know how we've performed there in the past. So I think a, a point would be an excellent result. I think we definitely play Arsenal at a pretty good time. There's um, a lot of uncertainty in their in their starting eleven. They don't know where Havertz quite quite fits in. So Fabio Vieira played this weekend instead of Havertz. Um, 
They've got injuries at the back, obviously. There's a lot more stale possession for Arsenal than there is for, for Tottenham at the moment. They spent £120 million on uh, a number six who can't receive the ball in the number six kind of zone. And so um, I'm interested to see how we adapt our press, whether we try to press in our 4-3-3 shape with, with, our, with our wingers joining. Yeah, and, and trying to force them over towards one of their fullbacks with a front three maybe and then then sort of aggression from the wide midfielders something like that I don't know I haven't I haven't um, really watched much Arsenal already but there there's something there because um, because sorry uh, Declan Rice isn't comfortable receiving in that sort of pocket in front of the defenders he drops into the defence and makes a long back line yep. and at the moment they're making that a strength because in the in the Dutch style um when an opponent comes to press them, they're outnumbering the opposition with the number of players they have in a in a single line. The trick would be to work out how to make that a weakness instead of a strength. Nice. Liverpool, I think, is trickier for Arsenal, to be honest, even though it's at home. Um I saw I watched the Wolves Liverpool game. Um Wolves absolutely battered them in the first half. Absolutely battered them. They were all over them. They played really well. Liverpool looked very rough defensively. They left big gaps in midfield. And then they made some tweaks and they, they turned it on and they looked a really good team. And they're very dangerous in transition. I do have a few concerns about us in transition. Um, and, I, and I see that game as one where we will dominate possession. We're averaging over 60% possession. Liverpool more like 55%. I think we will see the majority of the ball in that game and Liverpool will look to try and counter on us. Whereas in the Arsenal game, I think both teams will want to have the ball. And it will be, you have the ball for 10 minutes, then we'll have the ball for 10 minutes. You have the ball for 10 minutes, we'll have the ball. And it comes down to who who makes the most of it when they've got it. And I do fancy that we could, you know, it, it, honestly, it's a game that I think can go anyway, but there's no reason why we can't beat Arsenal with the, the style of football we play. I, I'm a bit more concerned about Liverpool. They don't have a number six at all. Neither of these teams have a number six. Yeah. So you've got, there's got to be a way to force turnovers out of both these sides. You have been listening to The Extra Inch with me, Windy, my sidekick and best friend, Barney, and our tactics guy, Nate If you like this, there's plenty more at patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch. Production is by Nathan A. Clark. Our logo, artwork and website are designed by Trayton Miller. Our music is by David Lindmer. You can find him on Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Instagram at David Lindbergh. Do check him out. He's great. great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us at podcast at the extra inch Subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. And most importantly, be sure to tell all of your Spurs friends. Shout out to the X-Sub, we love every single last one of you. And of course, come on you Spurs. Come on you Spurs.